Hello and welcome to Vista Talks. On today's episode, we're joined by Louise O'Connor. Louise is a partner and director at Beta Digital, and we're delighted to have Louise back with us for another episode. On the last episode where Louise did join us, we talked a little bit about the Island Together initiative, and that's an initiative where Louise is a co-founder, and we touched on some very interesting services towards the end of that episode that Louise is involved in as a partner and as a director of Beta Digital. So this is very interesting to us here at Vista Talks as we're currently exploring the topic of digital first and digital transformation and how global organizations and companies are responding to online business, creating content for new international marketing initiatives, and of course the importance of language and culture and those business processes. So delighted that you're back with us today. Um, and before we go any further, I'd like to get you to maybe share a little bit of your background again for our listeners. So over to you, Louise. Thanks, Simon. It's great to be back. So I'm not going to repeat too much in case somebody's already heard, but a quick background is I've lived and worked in 10 countries, moved to country every four years of my life. Uh, background is languages and international marketing. Um, I was working at the UN straight after my master's based in Rome that kind of used a lot of my languages, but also in, embraced further the change and the passion to make a difference, um, which I've kind of brought through all my different careers since. So I joined the workforce at that internet, internet uh, starting exploding the internet, uh, the businesses in Ireland at the time. So it was early uh, 2000, uh, 2000s. Uh, digitally enabling companies ever since. It was kind of website build, PPC, SEO, content, as Simon just said, um, looking at different email providers. Remember, it was a time where everyone had free email and suddenly they were being asked to pay for it in terms of different marketing platforms and what they were using. So it was a complete change and shift in cultures and mindset as well. Um, first experience of actual digital transformation was probably about 2005, where we looked at how do we scale a company and grow it internationally, reach more people. How could we do this online before LMSs or e-commerce systems or anything? But we actually started marketing and advertising a course online to be able to do in your own time. And that was the first time of transforming an offline to an online model. I suppose I continued then working in different startups, adapting the different business models, their communications, digital reach, scaling them internationally. Um, then looked at large, started working with a couple of large corporates as well, different industries and sectors, but it's predominantly moving and adapting them to the online world through supply chains and delivery, partners, processes, brand, website, data management, customer acquisition, um, digital channels, remote working, um, ad operations and revenue. So just different models across all areas of business. Um, I returned to Dublin about four years ago and digital transformation was uh, quite a new buzzword, maybe a little bit murky in understanding, very misunderstood um, and kind of a little bit too big for anyone to get their heads around. So by going in and understanding where companies were struggling in terms of maybe marketing or growing, you kind of see, well, if you're not growing, there's probably a different underlying challenge. And that's kind of what I've been looking at and how I look at companies when, when, they're, when they're not quite sure what it is they need. So I actually set up my own um, consulting firm, so I'm partner and company director with Beta Digital, along with two other partners, Tony and Paul. And um, we started, we set up um, about six months before the pandemic hit. So suddenly there was a need, <laughs> timing was quite interesting. Uh, suddenly everyone understood the, the urgency of adapting their businesses to an all digital world. Um, and that's where we're at at the moment. I also do a lot of mentoring for Enterprise Ireland and some for SFA. Um, 
so I can see firsthand a lot of startups, the changes that are going through with either smaller companies, SMEs, straight through to the multinationals. Louise, I'm exhausted just listening to that. That is that is a whirlwind of experience. Thank you so much for sharing that again. Um, Today's episode, uh, I'm excited to talk a little bit about how the companies are transforming their businesses. Um, you mentioned internet, uh, sorry, email and internet connectivity, and I had a flashback as you were talking to the days of dial-up internet and free, <laughs> free ISPs, and uh, my goodness, what a long way we've come. Uh, and today's topic, obviously, we're going to be talking about digital transformation today. And in particular, I wanted to start our discussion today, understanding something that's called the Digital Maturity Index. Um, it's very relevant to global content. In the localization world, we talk extensively about a localization maturity index. And in the digital transformation world, the Digital Maturity Index is key. But could you take us through what it is, why it's important, and maybe start to uh, unpack that a little bit for our listeners? Sure. So I think before we look at just uh, the digital maturity itself, if I just explain in really, really simple terms to demystify the word digital transformation, the simplest way to look at it is it's the change or adaptation a business needs to make um, to respond to changing customer and market requirements. And you can see that's everywhere now. The market, customers, everything is adapting, behaviors are changing. So it's just the adaptations that companies are making. And um, Companies have always done this. It isn't a new concept. Um, it, it's something that I think because we're now in a totally di digital world, that word digital kind of scares people in terms of technology. But all it is is taking a business as it is and adapting it to a world which is all digital. Um, so as the Digital Maturity Index, but we, we actually have our own where we actually work with the leaders or senior management within companies across the whole company, understanding where are they? What The reason we do this is also if you're doing any change or you're looking at a transformation or a business plan or strategy, what's your starting point? If you don't know where your starting point is, then you don't know what success will look like, where you're going on the journey or how to get there. And that's what the digital maturity index is. So digital maturity just analyzes is where your, your company is on its journey to becoming digital first, as you mentioned earlier, Simon. So all businesses, if that we would start with, we'd look at, okay, starting point, where are you now? Where are the gaps? And this kind of saves money as well, because instead of coming in and going, you need to change everything, it's let's just look at the gaps within the company and how you compare against the market and competitors, that's both local and international, what needs to be addressed and what order. So this is also, do you go straight for technology, which is, I say, no, whatever you do, you don't start with technology. And that's where we're going into afterwards. Where, where do you start and how do you know what order to take the company on this kind of change journey? So one other thing, the, the index that we use is, um, it shows the standard deviation across the company. So if it'll, this is what highlights the gap. So you might say, I remember working with one client, they said, we're totally digital first. We all get digital. We all believe digital. That's what we do. And then the results came, kind of came back to a 20% difference in standard deviation. Like there was a gap. Now, that's really high percentage. We'd normally not want it to be more than five. So 20% standard deviation. And it doesn't mean that they're not doing digital in lots of ways, but the understanding across the organization is varied. And that's the importance of kind of understanding where everyone is at, because you can have the person leading digital who knows everything, but the person selling it or the person marketing it or the people hiring 
for the certain roles need to understand and be brought in that journey. And that's what the digital maturity is, of understanding where you currently are before you do any change. Yeah, it's great. Thanks for explaining that. Um, and, and so important to get a definition of what is actually digital transformation, because it is kind of very uh, buzzword at the moment, isn't it? It's a, it's a buzzword. It's a phrase that everybody seems to be using. I used to love it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, as you said, I think you, you, know, you, you, you hit the nail on the head that companies have been transforming forever. Um, yeah. It's just at the moment we're in a, a digitally um, enhanced world. It's just another form of transformation. And the, 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 the sort of parallel that I was drawing earlier between the digital maturity index and the localization maturity index, it, it's very important that companies do understand where they're starting from. Um, what level of it, what level of maturity are they are they at? Are they at the beginning of that journey, the middle of that journey? They're close to the to getting it perfect towards the end of the journey, um, and particularly with companies that are looking to go international with their products and services, um, in order to be successful, um, you really need to know your starting point and where where you are aiming to to get to. Otherwise, it becomes very hard to scale. So these these are tools. And strategies to help organizations so let's exactly let's, and I, I would actually yeah. add in there is that when you start a business does anyone not do some market research in understanding what game where they're playing who their competitors are that's kind of where a dmi or a digital maturity index or understanding all you're doing is the groundwork of anything where you currently are in relation to competitors markets sectors international markets which are all different it's just knowing your starting point so like mm -hmm. you said that's that's what companies do at this at the very start of when before you even set up a company. So it's just interesting that this shouldn't be such a big concept in understanding your digital maturity and understanding the the landscape that you're playing in. So let let's add uh, the uh, the term purpose led transformation into this discussion, because um, some companies, you know, they want to transform. They think it's just something that they should be doing right now because of a global pandemic. Why are, you know, where are we on our digital transformation journey? Uh, some companies are saying that we've got to put digital first. We've got to fundamentally change our business overnight. We've got to pivot. We've got to do things differently than we've done before. Some companies are doing really, really well. Others are, are struggling. But when, it, when we talk about purpose-led transformation, could you share maybe explain that it, you know it's not necessarily straightforward and why that sort of clearer strategic purpose is so critical when it, when it comes to this um, type of work yeah so purpose-led is pretty much what is your purpose as an organization what problem are you solving uniquely for your customers and why do you exist as an entity or a company? So even as you said, behaviors have changed so much in such a short amount of time, how we work, eat, live, learn. Um, and it's also how our consumption patterns, from like purchase decisions through to entertainment, healthcare, um, even data, everything about it has changed. So even though the pandemic's kind of accelerated the use of digital, it's also dramatically changed the consumer behavior and how we go about what it is we're trying to trying to do in daily life. So businesses just need to understand how this has affected the relationship with their customers and how they can adapt to it. So that's where I'm talking about purpose. It's questions like, how have your customers behave 
behaviors changed? How are you engaging? What channels are they on? How are you going to reach them? How, what's your tone of voice? You need to have empathy at this time more than ever. What data are you using to actually analyze and show the changes in different patterns of behaviors or customer experience? How does it affect your purpose? So previously you did a great job at selling XYZ. Is that still a need? Is that still a demand? If it is, how are you uh, communicating that or how are you getting to the customers in a completely different way? So it's really about problem solving for your customers. Why, why do you exist? How do you solve their problems? And it has to have everything to do with employees as well. You need to, if you understand your purpose, employees, everyone in the company, it needs to be totally aligned. Have you communicated your new purpose with all of your employees? Have you looked across, are they all on the same path to achieving that purpose? Sales, marketing, social, recruitment, HR, supply chains, your partners and your customers, if they don't know what that purpose is and you haven't communicated, so a lot of people will think that they, oh, but we know our purpose, we do this. But if you haven't communicated that change and how it's changing and how people are feeling about it, then it can't be expected to achieve it. And that's the starting point of any change. So it can be really hard when you think, when you're in the thick of your own business to go, okay, I have to take a step back. And I know this myself, it's easier coming out as an outsider, looking into a company going, okay, even knowing all the flaws, everything going on, I don't need to know that. I can just see now, here's where you want to be and this is not where you are now and here's how to get there. So it's having somebody come from an external and looking at, with a fresh set of eyes, at the business, how you could do something different. How has the experience kind of changed? How do you identify the gaps or the pain points? And then how could just it be done differently? Because when you're in it and you don't have potentially the know-how, how are you going to see what it takes? Even when somebody repeats it to you, you might actually know, but it takes sometimes an extra person just to go, what about this? What if we could do this? And that changes that whole mindset. And that's what I love about, I suppose, the whole business of digital transformation. You can think again in a business going, what if we could do this? And it just makes you think differently with associated thinking, applying different business models, applying different thought processes and then go, okay, we can still be the same business, but this is how we could do it differently and really make a difference. And that's really a long explanation of purpose-led transformation. What is the purpose for engaging in this? Thank you. Um, it makes me wonder um, your views on, there, there are a lot of large organizations that are doing particularly well uh, in, in the current climate. I'm thinking of people like uh, Google, Amazon, uh, new brands to a, uh, I suppose, a more US or European market like TikTok. Mm -hmm. um, you've got Salesforce, uh, companies that I would sort of describe as, uh, you know, digital first type companies. They have a very strong digital presence. They, you know, their services are predominantly online. But then you've got other companies um, such as uh, Nike, for example, or um, Adidas, or any of those kind of companies who have a, a very strong digital uh, element to their business, but also a more traditional retail element to their business too. And, uh, you know, we see a large number of born on the internet companies possibly faring a little bit better today than sort of businesses that were established or founded in a pre-digital era, if that makes sense. Are you seeing a lot of these large organizations now rushing the digital transformation journey? You know, did this pandemic come along when companies were sort of somewhere on their journey and now it's thrown them, you know, a, a little bit uh, off course? 
or are, is it just driving this this really fast requirement to do this quickly? Uh, what do you, what are your views? What are you seeing from uh, companies of, of all shapes and sizes, Louise? So you're right. Digitally native tend to be more agile, more flexible, and they can react more quicker to this. But it doesn't mean that their business or revenue models don't change. In fact, they change all the time. So even when I'm working with startups or SMEs or um, companies who've been five, ten years in business, they might have started off as a product, suddenly becoming a SaaS. That's a very different sale, and that's an ad adaptation from single once-off sale to reoccurring multi-year licenses. So they do change, but they are t generally tend to be more agile and quicker to change and it doesn't cost with the whole processes of bit multi this was multi-size organizations or large enterprises and um, pre-digital na natives is an interesting one that sme kind of have they moved have they not and um, many weren't prepared and they didn't see change as uh, urgent they kind of saw it's a nice to have it's on our it's on our list it's on next year's strategy we would definitely include that and um, some of them had random acts of digital we call it so they had a website they had some social channels going hey hey we're a digital website i don't know what your problem is it's like okay so can you still take bookings can you take like can people pay can you sell things online it, it was something going it's coming but the pandemic really just hit kind of showed the processes that broke down the customer experiences user journeys have changed all over the place and no longer work on a lot of sites. Competitors were now gaining um, anyone who had invested a little bit in change or adaptation or made a little bit more digital were now basically stealing their customers because loyalty is fickle in a world where if you need something, especially if a company, no matter how much you want to support local or support someone that you do, if you can't buy or purchase what it is you need, especially in the last few months, if something was urgent, you would go elsewhere in order to do that. So, yeah, I think there's, a, from startups, digital natives, there's adaptations happening everywhere, but it would be the older school, longer in the tooth, who kind of saw this as coming and added to a list, it didn't make changes that would be struggling the most. But I think there's also, even if they had started the journey, just like you asked there, Simon, if you started that kind of process, where is it now? I know some people who had a, they'd spent a year and a half on a remote working policies and they were ready to roll it out. And their remote working was flexible one day a week, X number of hours, things you had to do. The whole, the whole process is in the bin. I mean, they, they, that's adaptation at a really slow pace. So anyone who had already started on the process might just be throwing it out and just seeing that what they thought they would need to implement slowly and adapt to was actually done overnight and businesses are still functioning. So it's change in mindset. Everything to do with the transformation is you have to be able to move quicker. It's on everyone's, it's always been on everyone's to-do list. Now it's just, it's just no choice. It's an imperative to survive. It's very interesting. I love the term, uh, was it random acts of digital? I love it. Uh, that's fantastic. Uh, it's very different, isn't it, between some companies that are very digital first, very focused, were probably working on this many moons ago, uh, have digital transformation as a, as a top boardroom agenda topic, um, have really looked at their business from, the, uh, from, from every angle and, and had uh, at least progressed major parts of their business um but those random acts of digital uh some are useful some as you say you've got to go back to the drawing boards and almost start again i assume um 
the um, the other interesting thing as you were talking there that that sprang to mind was the it's not just the external communications here the external communications when you're trying to reach new markets or you're trying to sell products internationally into a market maybe you haven't sold into before or you're trying to grow revenues in your home market to a new uh, sector of that market uh, and whether that's a, a language or a cultural um, perspective you have to take on that it's also you were talking a lot there about the, the the introspective communications almost bringing everybody along on this journey and really being able to communicate that you mentioned a lot of departments within a large global organization and making sure that those internal communications are, are very high on the agenda um, oh a hundred percent i mean if you're looking at any kind of change or innovation it actually not only is a change in mindset, but you have to understand, want, believe in, and champion it. And that comes from C-level. If they really believe that change is the way to future-proof your business, drive competitive, be competitive for the future, then it has to be really felt and bring everyone on that journey. That's across departments. So it's every employee, they need to understand why they're making the change, how it's different, what role they play, that they have a voice in it, and then the measurement, which I, is really, really crucial as well, because knowing your starting point again will then enable you to set goals of where it is you want to be and on the journey of how to get there. So it's really important because it takes full company-wide alignment for any change to be successful. Otherwise, people just revert back to their old habits. So in, in relation to the, the C-suite, uh, that innovation, that sort of change leadership focus that people need to have, um, how is that relatable then to, I suppose, ultimately the, the outcome and making sure that a business is competitive, that it can grow, that it can do well in these uncertain times? Can you sort of maybe unpack that a little for us? Sure. Um, I mean, any change is kind of complex. It depends on how you go about it. Um, I think one of the scary things about digital transformation is that people think, oh, it's stop everything and let's reassess. I mean, any change should be run alongside business as usual. Businesses still need to make money. They still need to exist. They still need to gain customers, pipelines. So it's not a stop. It's not an either or. It's how do we look at a strategy? And it's it kind of goes back to my, my point earlier where this has been done in companies forever. Whenever you're in a company, you're always looking ahead of what's coming, what's not coming. How do you add that? How do you add that to your strategy? How do you bring people along? The, the part that is, I suppose, a little bit different and more scary is that what you said, things are happening so fast, Simon. It's where you're adding technology constantly. You're, everyone's in firefight mode. They're changing it in in such a different way that it's not easy to stop for a second and go, okay, where are we going from this? And I think that's where people are going to come out of this the next month or two and start looking, okay, so we added a hundred billion licenses left, right and center. We brought on new tech, there's communication everywhere. Suddenly we're actually over communicating, but nobody's understanding. We have no idea where we are. That's kind of where I think a lot of people are going to come out of this and just go, let's strip back all of this technology and understand what it is we want to communicate and then decide which channels or technologies we use in order to do that. Um, so understanding that it's not no longer a nice to have and that it is just a sense of future-proofing your business, you need to be flexible, agile, and bring everyone on the journey. Um, and I think that's the most important part because the world, the word digital and digital transformation just relates to the fact that everything, we live in a digital world. Hmm. 
like, like personally, four months, didn't leave the house, everything I could do. Now, obviously I went for walks and I did not leave the house, but I wasn't buying anything or doing anything other than was needed. You order everything online. Right. Uh, it's a digital world and how we communicate. Okay, no, thank you. And um, it's interesting that, that when you talk about future-proofing the business, uh, it's so critical at the moment. Um, the companies can see the roadmap and the way through. Um, let's get into the essential ingredients then, uh, Louise. Let's talk about some of the work that you're doing with these large global clients. Let's understand. I'm intrigued a little bit to find out about the process because you've got quite a, um, well, to me, it looks quite an extensive process. I'm hoping you can take me through it. Um, you've got, uh, if I'm right, you've got three critical stages. You've got these sort of six step process then through those three stages. And the bit that really intrigues me is what, what you term as the nine digital motors um so I'm, I'm dying to know what what that is and maybe you could take me through that a little bit and let's let's talk a little bit about the process there that you use and why so you to start with it, there are so many frameworks and processes and approaches and people have their own and um, i just know from decades of experience at this stage it does come back down to the purpose you need to know your why you need to understand your customers and that comes from data you need the strong leadership and know how to get you there and it won't work and companies will just become extinct if you don't know that so even with these stages so we kind of broke it down to try and simplify and i know it doesn't sound so simplify when we're talking about 369 and lots of different things all it is is that there are three phases of any transformation understand where you are now envisage where you want to be and then build a plan to get there i mean it's really really simple it's kind of even like simon cynic's why how what it's, it's three steps uh, or phases. What we talked then about the steps is that in order to make sure companies have full visibility on what is possible, what could be, we look at the digital maturity of the company right now, assess going, okay, here are your gaps. You don't need to look at this, they're fine. You may need to look at this, this is your starting point. Then you look at the industry around you, what are competitors doing and um, what else could that you be doing? Um, and then where do you sit within that competitive kind of analysis? And that's again, kind of a digital maturity, both for yourselves with internally, but also externally. Then you look at the next one. So then that's the kind of understanding where you are. If you're looking at envisioning where you're going, waves of change. It sounds like such a buzzword, but it's really, really looking at what is coming? What if? What if I could plant a thousand trees in five minutes? Drones can do that, humans can't. That's a what if scenario. What if my business could really make a difference and start um, dropping uh, groceries off to people who needed it? Drones do that as well. What if we could 3D print new ventilators and really save so many lives by doing it? It's thinking outside the box and that's kind of the ways of change is what's happening. Because once you understand the different things that are happening within your industry, then afterwards you can decide, oh, that technology could actually enable it. So I'm, I'm, I'm over-expanding here, but that's kind of the ways of change because it's really exciting. That's the exciting place to be when you're envisaging what you could be. And then the destination is just as, what does that look like? And that's kind of part of the envision. Then the transformation piece is the last one. What is the strategy and what is the roadmap? How are we going to get there? So that's kind of the three, six. Once you see that there's kind of a big picture broken down into two for that, then you look at the, the fun digital motors that you, that you seem so intrigued about. <laughs> So the main part about digital motors is it's not digital motors, it's actually nine motors 
in my in my opinion. I think my partner's going to kill me. Um, but you've got vision and mission. So you've got five pillars, strategy, people, processes, technology, revenue, and your customer. I mean, that's what a business is. I don't think I'm missing anything out of that's what, in essence, your business consists of. So the nine motives are kind of like, You've got your vision and your strategy. What is your purpose? Why do you exist? Why would your customers buy you? And what is the strategy to always make that the best it can be for you to be the best in your market? Then you look at your organization. This is where across the departments where I was talking about the company alignment, are you actually communicating in a clear way that everybody knows within your organization what is currently happening, what changes are being made, who bought the latest technology? What sale came in? Are we under acquisition? Are we looking for an acquisition or an investor? Looking at the different, are people talking to each other? And that's the organization. Are they engaged? Are, are the employees happy? And do you have a high retention rate or turnover? That's kind of the organization and the understanding that everyone needs to be on that purpose. Processes are then that communication as well through how do you ensure everybody's happy from customers through to employees, through to your partners, and what you stand for as a company. Infrastructure, the technology. I've walked into so many different companies where at the back end, don't talk to the front end. Nobody's representative from IT on the board whatsoever, which means there's a whole department who's actually delivering something, but no idea of what they're delivering for or what the bigger purpose is. So that's where you're talking about the infrastructure, and that's all supported by data. Again, I remember going in and just seeing so much data no, all duplicate data, none cleanse, no one analyzing what it meant, no one even understood, oh, we've got a lot of data. I was like, but if you actually bring it down, I remember them having heart attack at one stage when we actually deduped, cleanse, and analyzed the data, it's reduced by four times what they thought their data IP was. I wasn't a very popular person at the time, but we did grow it up to 5 million from 100,000 within two years. So it scaled, but if you don't have that starting point of understanding the data and the infrastructure, then you come down to the revenue and the proposition. As I said, if you move a company from, if you decide that you're selling something online, but actually it's a course, but then you want to do continuous and you're going to do this gamification and constant learning and you're doing different pieces, it's becoming a SaaS company. That changes every single one of these motors. Your purpose is different. You now want lifelong learning. Your strategy and how to get there, you've got to communicate now that you're not a product anymore. Sales teams need to be restructured and retrained. Marketing needs to change the entire either brand, repositioning, rebranding, but all the communication needs to be told that we are now changing and this is what we're becoming. Is the infrastructure there? Are customer success teams or service teams informed on how to now communicate with who they're customers will be and the fact that their retention levels what are their targets now is it just to make someone happy or is it to retain them for the extra two three years this is real examples of where each of these motors are the parts of your business when you look at the touch points that's the one that has changed i suppose so dramatically in terms of that's your the digital channels where are your customers how are you speaking to them should you be where you current where you were before? Should you be changing where you can and how you're doing that? And then the relationship is that communication between your customers of understanding what is what do they care about? What how are you helping them? And what is the value proposition of everything that you're doing for them? So does that kind of break it down? Not too complicated? Yeah, no, no, it does. It makes perfect sense when you when you uh, go through it that way. Uh, it, it's it's um, as you said at the very start. There are a number of different processes that companies can use. Um, and it's back to that straightforward, 
you know, back to that, what's the purpose? Why are we trying to do this? And I think then as you get further down into it with your six steps and your nine motors or your nine digital motors, you're basically taking, talking about the fundamental building blocks of most large organizations. And uh, that communication, again, is coming through loud and clear, Louise, that the, the communication through the organization is, is really critical uh, when, you're, when you're pivoting or changing and you're becoming more of a, a digital first type company. Um, that leads me to a question I want to ask you, um, uh, relatable, I suppose, to global content and to communicating effectively externally. A lot of businesses that uh, we, talk, we talk to, they're looking to expand internationally. They're looking to go into uh, new markets with new languages, new cultures. And they're, 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 you know, we're seeing a rapid adoption of lo better localization and translation processes by companies where maybe it wasn't as high up on their, their boardroom agenda as it needed to be. And it's become such a critical boardroom topic now. How do we drive new product sales? How do we drive our services into international markets? Um, are you seeing that? Are you, are, you know, is that digital transformation process, uh, is that a key part of it at the moment that you're seeing in larger organizations? So there's a couple of different parts or questions in there. So in terms of the communication, 100% it's changed dramatically and drastically in the last few months. But it's always been important, I suppose. It's where the messaging now, both internally, as you said, as well as externally, you don't know where people are in their lives, where they've been for the last while. You have to have empathy and compassion because there's a lot of people struggling. And it might just be where you're trying to get one message across, but it could be something that is in a really, really bad day. That's the one thing they don't want to hear. So it's how having empathy for your customers and the people you're communicating to both internally and externally is now more important than ever. Um, but then it comes down as well, what you said to culture and cultural awareness. This has always been the case. It's the foundation of ever operating internationally. And um, having lived internationally, worked internationally, consider myself international, if you don't understand different cultures, you're not going to be able to communicate within your audiences. So for example, I was working in London and one of the companies was just over 500 um, employees. We had 32 nationalities. I was the, there was only three mother tongue speakers in my team, myself and two others, and there was about 50 to 100 people within the teams. We were running campaigns and communicating, running events in over 120 countries, 17 different languages. And every single part of that was one word in one country can mean something so different and so offensive in another culture. And even if it's not huge, I'll give you an example of Ireland and the UK. That simple. You would consider that we'd have the same language and the same kind of wording. But I know one com company, um, I started running events. Events management was the word that I was looking to optimize for. And I nailed it on the PPC, got it in Ireland down to like four cents for acquisition. It was absolutely brilliant. And I decided to do the same thing in the UK. Um, and for all the money in trial in the world and a lot of ours, the cost per acquisition was something like 25 pounds just for this word to appear. And I couldn't understand. It actually took a month I had to stop all campaigns until I did more research and understanding that in the UK, they say events management, plural, as opposed to event. In Ireland, we say a singular. That one letter is a tiny example of the nuances between vocabulary and languages. So that's between two countries very close who speak the same language, similar enough cultures. Um, imagine when you're going somewhere which is totally different, different style governments, um, your Asia, the States, 
like Australia, I mean, and then every single language or every single country within Europe alone. So if you're not aware of that and understanding the importance of adapting your messaging, the languaging, the culture, but understanding the way of saying things. Like, and then I know I make mistakes all the time because I speak quite a few languages. I mean, that's not the way I should have said that. I think that means something else. And you can see somebody's facial expression. They're like, that's not really what you meant, is it, Louise? I'm like, uh-oh. So it's cultural diversity. For me, it drives diversity of thought. So when you have a difference in cultures and different understanding, it, that drives innovation because you've got different ways of thinking, new ways of doing things, problem solving from totally different angles of how you can't with your own experience ever know something different unless you open up and have that kind of collective thought. And that can really change for both businesses, but society as a whole. No, it's so true. Uh, digital first is such a, a key component of a company's makeup now. Uh, and getting that message, that external messaging right culturally um, is so critical uh, because one message, uh, the, the essence of the message, the essence of what you're trying to say or how you want to be positioned or, or understood in a particular culture, it really is critical uh, to getting that digital uh, journey right. Um, you can't just take what you've used elsewhere and hope it fits. Uh, that's that's not really the best approach. Uh, in terms of measuring the success, though, whether it's the external um, communication that you're working with a, a partner, say, to, to make sure that your communications are effective, they're localized, they're translated, or whether it's the internal communications with, the, with your own company, your organizations around the world, how are people measuring that performance? So is that a key component, Louise? Like, what are you, what are you seeing here when it comes to digital transformation? So this is one of the most topical questions in the last few months more than ever in terms of digital transformation. Right, you're gonna help us. What's it gonna cost us? What are we gonna get in return? Straight away. And there isn't one answer. There are multiple answers and it depends on businesses. So measuring change is, is hard if that's all you're measuring. But you need, if you, and I keep coming back to this, but if you know your starting point, how much are you spending right now on processes? How much are you spending on people that that uh, roles could be automated with support. I'm not trying to replace humans here, but processes be automated, outsource different uh, logistics parts of the business, streamline different areas. So coming to measurement, it depends on what is your purpose for change? Are you looking to grow? Are you looking to reduce costs? Are you looking to increase revenue? Are you looking just to be sustainable and remain competitive? Each of those will have a different measurement depending. And by the way, you can do all of it. Within digital transformation, you can actually grow, reduce costs, increase revenue, do the lot and stay competitive. But you need to have set targets. So depending on what that goal or, or purpose is, it's measured differently across different companies, sectors. It's up to that person and what, not that person, that company and what they want to achieve from the change. So that's the starting point. Um, and if you understand your, uh, the, I suppose, the cost of operating your business now, this is what it currently costs. This is where we'd like to reduce and this is where we'd like to increase. Then you have a vision. You're like, okay, we've got a target. So let's set some objectives, tangible goals, real results, KPIs. And you can look at things like, what are the new revenue streams? What am I going to get from digital channels, which I didn't have before? Look at ad operations. We never had ads before. That's a new channel. How much are we looking to get from that? Set a goal, even if it's astronomical, all it is is a projection and something that you're hoping to achieve but base it on real numbers that you're seeing in your business now. 
efficiency in processes, time saved through automated processes. Uh, look at uh, customer service. Could you set up an intelligent AI chatbot on your site with feeding questions that you get asked every single day to reduce about an hour time of each one of your customers' success? Because they're like, we know how to answer this. It's over and over. This is a repetitive task. It's really simple and doesn't cost much in order to automate something like that. And you can save a lot of hours where people will be better placed to do more productive work. Reducing costs. I'm going to ask this. How many legacy systems have you heard of that are broken, hacked, constantly being rehacked to try and do something that the company now wants to do, but won't invest in a new technology. So you've got these developers going, okay, so now I need to make this work. So I'm breaking this, suddenly something else goes down. How much money are you losing by all of those pieces breaking and constantly? Whereas you could actually have a very uh, streamlined system, very simple interface that doesn't actually need as much maintenance. So you can actually build for something more exciting rather than just constantly fixing. And um, skills and onboarding, it takes a lot of time to onboard people. Are there training programs? Are there things that you can do already in automating videos? Can you set that up? Can you build a sense of engagement that people want to belong and feel that in a different way? That's gonna reduce your attrition rates and people are gonna to want to stay longer. These are all ways of measuring things. Customers, customer experience, you mentioned it. The journeys, how are they getting there? Can you make it easier? Can you make it so easy that they press a button and suddenly purchase and you can double your revenue, but also their delight. They're so excited that they've pressed a button and it's arriving tomorrow. Or they're suddenly at an event and they get a reminder just in case that they forgot about it. So these are all small examples. But yeah. each one of them should have a target or a, a, a goal or something set against it and that somebody is responsible for so that you feel the sense of achievement of how much you're actually gaining throughout the process. And they can be incremental, a tiny chatbot, honestly, you can set that up in a day or two, feed it with the questions you know, and you're already saving time, money, and making customers really happy where they don't have to pick up the phone for an hour and a half waiting on the phone. I've just done this recently. And so it's fresh to mind. And I can chat on the box going, oh, that's done. Thank you. Don't even know if it was a person, but it was very well handled. Thank you very much. So it's depending on your business purpose, why you're looking to change, the decision, the investment, you should never invest in something without understanding what you want to get from it. It's that's common sense in my head. So know what it is or why you're investing in it, have expected outcome, but make sure that everybody is accountable for it in a, in a collective way. I don't mean just hitting them the target in a collective way for, for making that change. And the last part I would also kind of throw in there just to undo what I just said, but it's really, really important as well to look at what is it going to cost you and what are the repercussions if you don't? So for all those companies who didn't, how much money have they lost in the last six months? How many customers have they lost? What's their reputation? The time by making small adjustments makes you more flexible and agile for whatever next pandemic or change happens. That's a really important question, Louise. What happens if you don't? That is really a critical question. Two things that, that jump out at me from what you were sharing there is um, uh, you were asking the question, you know, how many times do you see these platforms, legacy systems, et cetera? And you, it's absolutely true, uh, particularly in large organizations. 
there's kind of the way things have always been done with maybe providers or partners that they've always worked with. There's old systems that won't talk to other systems. And I suppose from, from our side of the digital transformation journey and the, you know, helping customers be digital first with content, um, we're very fortunate, I suppose, to have sort of our own uh, applied technologies group in house who work on, you know, if the solution doesn't exist, they will actually work and build a customized solution for a client that helps interface those legacy systems. Um, so that's, that's kind of fortunate to have that. But it also works very well with a company who, say, has that new streamlined system or platform or a new process uh, way that a new process that they've implemented that they want to work. Being technology agnostic and being able to be flexible around whether it's that brand new shiny platform or system, or whether it's actually developing something from a software development uh, or even a hardware perspective, uh, we've been quite fortunate there. But it's true what you say. We come across that all the time, um, which is a very interesting point. And the second point that I really loved was where you mentioned delighting customers, and it's something that we don't hear a lot of. Uh, we used to hear about it a while ago, but it ultimately it does come back to that, doesn't it? What are the small things or, or even the big things that you can put in place that ultimately will delight your customers? And you reference something like, you know, it arrives on time or it arrives early or it was a seamless process or I just went online and I got the answer. It's those little moments of delight, isn't it, that help. And whether that's the, you spoke to me in my own language, you recognize my culture, I, I, you understood what I wanted straight away. Those little moments are what makes the difference in that customer journey, aren't they? And helps with building reputation and ultimately brand. So that also comes from the culture of the company. Um, I, I don't know if you know the book, uh, Delivering Happiness based on Zephyrs. Like, sure, I, love, I do. Yeah. I love that book. Anyone who wants to understand what delighting and delivering happiness means from a company to a consumer should read that book. Um, but I think within understanding, it's only when you've actually dealt and been in-house, like you were mentioning the silo systems and those technology infrastructures, until you see that a lot of companies just think, well, this is how we do it. This is how it exists. This is what is, it costs too much to get something else. And they don't see kind of part of that bigger picture. Um, and it comes from a culture of being open to change and that's the leadership of driving change but also having the freedom of culture. The reason I was talking about delivering happiness is that I'll get a message sometimes and someone just say, actually, I think it was from Priscilla the other day on your team. She just said, thanks a million, Louise, and didn't have to answer, but went above and beyond and made it really personal to make me feel good. Um, and that didn't come from a company telling her that's what you answer. That's the human element touch of a culture that says, we're going to delight our customers. We're going to make them feel happy. That's what we do internally. That's what we believe in. So that's what we're going to do. And that's, that's a cultural mindset that more companies need to have now, I think more than ever. Yeah, Zappos in the early days would be a great example. I think it was Tony Shave, I've got the yeah. name, um, who uh, really invested heavily in that customer service. And I think at one point even rewarded their call center staff, their service, service staff, people dealing with the end user customers for how long they could stay on the call to help a customer. Uh, I can't remember, I, I do remember hearing stories around that. Uh, I know that business after, has grown and grown. After their onboarding session as well, they used to offer the candidates something like 3,000 euro to leave. 
Mm. And it would show that whether that person was really, really engaged or a certain amount of money, even after a six week or two month, just to show if they took it, they weren't the right cultural fit for the company because they want to over delight and completely engage. And I think that's beautiful. It's a different way of doing it. And it was quite a few years ago. Yeah, and they removed a lot of friction too, right, from the process. Yeah. There was no fear of ordering. You could send it back if it didn't fit, et cetera. So yeah. back to what you're saying in terms of that digital transformation, what are those moments of delight that the customer's experiencing that makes them want to deal with your brand again? And, you know, from our side of things, and how are you communicating that? And are you reaching your, your target audience effectively uh, becomes really critical. Yeah. So um, before we wrap up today, I just, because you're involved in so many things, is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience? I really appreciate the sort of digital transformation journey you've helped take us through today, but is there anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up today, Louise? So I think if there's one thing I would love to just, it would be a huge success for me within this, is that simplifying this term digital transformation, I seem to spend my life trying to just demystify it. If you can just understand where that was, that it's just a way of changing or adapting a business, which does future-proof it. Um, I think also change doesn't come naturally to everyone and we're in such an uncertain time at the moment that empathy, kindness, collective thinking, the, the power of multiple minds, um, we'll all come through this together as long as we bring that. So I'd also like to offer if anyone wants a coffee or call, you know me, I'm always on social, so drop me a note, I'm happy to give any advice on that as well. So that's the end of today's show. I'd like to thank Louise O'Connor, partner and director at Beta Digital, for joining us here again on the Vista Talk Show. It's been an absolute pleasure, Louise. And also, we hope that you can join us again for another Vista Talks episode in the near future, where we'll be having more interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world. Thank you, Louise.